When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Muses and Stuff, the podcast that celebrates those who live, love, and breathe rock and roll. From the incredible groupies, girlfriends, and wives who went after what and who they wanted, to the journalists, photographers, and other behind-the-scenes characters who play such an important part in rock and roll history. We are your hosts, Shanti and Lynx. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Ready, Freddy? Ready, steady. Ready, steady. Here we go. Oh, wait. I have a question for you. Yeah. What does Gabba Gabba Hey mean? It's just um, like a um, an anthem song part of a Ramon song. It's like, Gabba Gabba Hey. It's just like a cheer. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I saw that Linda Ramon always like yeah. hashtags it's Gabba like, Gabba Hey. If you're a Ramon fan, that's just what you do. Mm. Gabba Gabba Hey. Okay. Yeah. Well, Gabba Gabba Hey, everybody. Yeah. Welcome to the new episode of Muses and Stuff. Yeah. I'm Shanti. And I'm Lynx. And I'm excited. Oh, man. I'm so excited. It's been an exciting couple weeks. Mm. It's going to be an even more exciting couple weeks coming up. It's just... Big things are happening. Yeah. It's been great. We had a lot of fun at WebFest. Yep. Lots of fun there. We got some amazing interviews coming up that I'm so excited. Uh, oh, they're insane. They're dream interviews. Yeah. And one of them, um, I, it's just been, I've been wanting to do this for probably over a year. Mm-hmm. And just timing and patience and yep. everything, it just synced up. And, and they're ladies that we've done episodes on. Yes. Oh my God, that's so good to mention. We have done episodes on both of these women. Yes. They both have books. Yes. So it's super exciting that we finally get to talk to them about it too. Oh, and it's so good. They both have incredible you know careers of their own and it's gonna be exciting yeah so we'll leave it as a, as a surprise then. yes we won't yes. we won't blow it we also have another like huge thing that just happened that we can't say can't yeah. say but uh, yeah good great things great amazing things it's it's exciting well we're definitely cheersing tonight yes is what we're doing yes and i just had like the craziest news a couple days yes. ago so this we can say yes so my dear friend Lisa, she is just a winner. Like that, she, that's what she does. She Lisa. wins. Yes. And she happened to win two trips in one day. Like that's how much of a winner she is. And I am the luckiest person because she chose me to take on a trip with her to England. And if that weren't exciting enough, we get to see Pearl Jam and the Rolling Stones while there. <laughs> Like, it just kept getting better and better. It's so surreal. Uh, I I love both of those bands, obviously, like, so much. So, it like... uh, I'm so excited for you. And you've never been. Never been to England. That's, like, the number one on my list of places I've wanted to go as well. And and anyone who's listening to old episodes knows um, 
one of my best friends, like Lizzie, lives out there, so I get to see her, and I know a couple other dear friends, Allison. I was there last summer, and I was there the summer before, and I love it there. Um, Love it. I can't wait for you to go. I am going to try to pack in as much as possible. I will obviously take photos and post uh, on Instagram and everything and make everyone over here jealous. (laughs) Yeah, do. Do. It's your time, girl. Uh, I'm just so pumped. And it's kind of fitting. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Because my episode today is about some Brits. Well, mostly. Um, Today, it's a special kind of episode because most people, it's a Beatles episode, but you automatically think like, oh, John, Paul, George, or Ringo. Like, Which wife are we doing today? Yes. <laughs> this, is it Cynthia? Yeah. We haven't done that yet. yet. Not yet. That's coming. Okay, good. Um, but yeah, I thought it would be it would be fun to do something that maybe not a lot of people know about, but was very important to Beatles history. Oh, that's so us. Yes. So you, Lynx. <laughs> So, who is it? It's going to be a woman named Astrid Kirscher and Stu Sutcliffe. So, I just want to say beforehand, um, I use material from kind of all over for this. Uh, mainly, I used a graphic novel, which was really interesting to have a graphic novel about a muse. Yeah. Yeah. It was called Babies in Black, and it was by um, Arnie Bellastorf and um, Astrid. Astrid Kirscher, uh, I used a book about her. It was just a retrospective on her work. She's a photographer. So there's this beautiful book, interviews in there. She has short hair? She does. I know who this is because when I was in England, and was it when I was going through the Beatles story in in Liverpool? Yeah. That there was pictures of them. Oh, yeah. So, but I mean... I don't know the story. The story so is really let's interesting. Yeah. But yeah, beautiful. Totally um, beautiful. I also want to mention that I used uh, Stuart Sutcliffe's art website and a site called The Beatles Bible for this. I uh, just want to give credit where credit's due. Mm. So Astrid Kirscher, she's really interesting, beautiful woman. She was born May 20th, 1938. Uh, born in Hamburg, in Germany. Her dad was a salesman for the Ford Motor Company, Motor Company, mm-hmm. uh, and during World War II, he he wasn't in the Nazi Party, but he had a job driving trucks and like a food and munitions and stuff to like wherever the troops were. So since Hamburg was like not obviously a safe place during that time, um, Astrid, her mom, her grandma, her cousins, they all were sent to the Baltic Sea. So she was very much raised by like women and mother uh her mother had always wanted to be a fashion designer but her family refused to let her pursue any kind of job remember astrid was born in 38 so her mother must have been born in like yeah you know early. so what was her choices housewife or nurse it, pretty much i think like housewife was about <laughs> not even nurse yeah. or teacher or teacher no she came from a wealthy family though so before the war her mother used to design her own clothing and that's you know, where she got that passion for it. And she would make them, uh, you know, for herself and for people around her. So that was, you know, the closest that she could get to her dream job. Yeah. Um, Astrid, very close to her mother growing up. So I guess it's really not all that surprising that after Astrid finished high school, she enrolled in the Master School for Fashion College of Textiles, Graphic Art, and Advertising. It's a mouthful. 
Yeah. Uh, she decided to study fashion design, like her mother wanted to. Um, in her second year there, she had a photography class that she attended once a week. And her photography tutor was a man named Reinhard Wolf. I'm going to mangle every name in this episode, by the way. Reinhard Wolf. <laughs> yeah. I can, you can just tell them to me and then I'll, re- I'll repeat them. All right. My German. So he saw this woman is talented. The, like, she has an eye. He convinced her, you're not meant for fashion design. You're meant for photography. So he invited her to become his assistant. So between 1957 and 1960, Astrid studied uh, at the school under his tutelage, and she worked with him until 1963. So she spent a lot of time with him and really like honed her craft because of that relationship. So while Astrid was in school, she was dating a fellow student, and his name was Claus Vorman. Yes, I was yes. going to ask you. I was like, wait, so this is the story of Astrid and somebody, but I was like, but I thought there was a Klaus in there yes. somewhere. Yes. Okay, great. So he, of course, like her... Also super babe. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Everyone in this is a super babe, honestly. Uh, he was like her, studying, and had yet to become famous and you know, who who we kind of know him as. And if you don't know him, I, don't worry. I'll tell you more about him later. I'm not worried. Yeah. So, yeah. He's, because I know yeah, you got. He's got a great, great story. story as well. Okay. So they were a couple. They were best friends, incredibly close. If you look at Astrid's early work, he's very much involved in it. So much photography, so many beautiful faces. <laughs> So when it comes to their aesthetic, I, I they were like the super cool. Uh, they they were just awesome. She, Astrid said, "Our philosophy then, because we were only little kids, was wearing black clothes and going around looking moody. Mm. Of course, we had a clue who Jean Paul Sartre was. We got inspired by the French artists and writers." Because that was the closest we could get. England was so far away and America was out of the question. So France was the nearest. So we got all the information from France and we tried to dress like the French existentialists. We wanted to be free. We wanted to be different. We tried to be cool, as they call it now. Yeah. And my goodness, they were. So we're in Hamburg. It's 1960. Astrid's like 18. And you got to remember at the time in Germany, there was like no rock and roll, no high fashion. It was, you know, a a black kind of world. It was like nothing special. You know, you, you had to really hunt for it, I guess. Did I tell you that I took a first year German course in university uh, for fun, mm-hmm. uh, just as an elective, and it was like two or three times a week, pretty intense course, and I could speak and write in German pretty fluently, mm-hmm. and then I lost it. So in the fall, 
TJ and I are starting because he's German. Yeah. Uh, Well, his dad is. And he wants to do an artist residency somewhere in Germany. Not Hamburg and not Berlin, but like the other. Like, that's how cool he is. He's like, not those other, not those two places, but like the other cool place that I don't, the name that I don't know. Very smart. So hoping that he'll get the artist residency and I'll be able to go stay. And then we can both work on our German that we have already practiced and learned. Amazing. Because this is all about artists. So hopefully, like, TJ, I'm dedicating this to you. Thank you. I'm sure. Like, and... And that, and he's an artist, and exactly. he wants to go to Germany, and that's where his family's from. And I've heard a lot of good things about Berlin. I've heard a lot of really good things about what's happening on the art scene in the art scene in Germany right now. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. they're always ahead as well. Like they're that's the place to go. Okay, so yeah, we're at 1960. There, Astrid and her friends you know they're the cool art school kids. They would go to jazz clubs and hang out, but you know. It was still quite old-fashioned then. But then it happened. So, oh, I know what it was. Oh, yeah. So one night, her and Klaus, Klaus they get into a it's bit not of... Klaus? Klaus. Klaus. Sorry. I told you I was going to mangle it. <laughs> so they got into a bit of a fight. Nothing big. But he was like, I'm going to go get some fresh air. I need to walk this out, right? So... He goes off, and I'm going to use Astrid's words here. Klaus went to the Reeperbahn, which was sort of like the entertainment slash red light district at the time. Uh, and he heard this wonderful music from uh, in some deep cellar, and he walked down, and there they were, the Beatles. <sighs> he stayed all night, and when he came home, he was absolutely out of his mind with joy. He persuaded me to come and see them, and it took a couple of days because for a young girl, it wasn't very good to go to the Reeperbahn in those days. Mm. By then, I became very nosy because he was talking so much about the Beatles and the way they looked and what they were wearing and how they were singing, so I had to go with him. I saw these wonderful figures on stage, and they were screaming their heads off, and the three voices of them, Paul, George, and John, when they used to sing their harmonies, it was so perfect and so beautiful that I couldn't describe how I felt then because it was the first time I had heard rock and roll. And then, and, sorry, and then again singing and performing it with such beauty and innocence was absolutely amazing for me. That's where I first met them and my English was terrible. <laughs> Klaus had to translate the whole time. But the first one I really adored from the minute I saw him was Stuart because he was this wonderful, delicate look and these beautiful eyes and the way he was standing on stage really knocked me out. Oh my God, I forgot about him. So for anyone who right now is like, uh, Stu? Who's Stuart? Yes. I'm going to give you a little background information on Stuart. Let's get to know him. Yes. So, Stu was born in Edinburgh, 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 in Scotland, of course, on June 23rd, 1940. So, his dad was an engineer officer in the Merchant Navy, and his mom was a school teacher. And when he was about three years old, his family moved to Liverpool. So, from a very... Oh, it's pronounced Liverpool. Liverpool. 
Liverpool. That's actually where my grandma's from. Where really? Yeah. Did you call her nanny Liverpool? I never met her. She passed away before I was born. We're going to be talking about a nanny Liverpool, Liverpool next yes. week. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, well, I loved it there. <laughs> yeah. Loved it there. And we should go back there together. I would love to. And go trace your roots. I got my grandma's birth certificate your scouse recently. Yeah. Roots. I was looking into getting um, a visa through, like, through my grandmother. So I got her birth certificate and it says like where she was born and everything and like where they cool. lived. And I've always wanted to like go there. I always thought that if I was in in England that I would want to live in London. Mm-hmm. That was until I went to Liverpool. That's amazing. Yeah, I've heard so many great things. And so it must have changed like over the years. Oh my God, the boys are so cute there. Oh, They're so cute. Well, we gotta go then. Yep. So from... Very early age, Stuart really showed a passion and a talent for art. When he was 16, he was accepted to the Liverpool (laughs) College of Art, um, where he met John Lennon, and they became very close and even lived together for a while. So John says that Stu was the star of the school. He was just miles ahead of everyone. And he would help John improve his artistic skills and he would work with him to help submit his work for exams. Basically, he was like propping John up. Plus, he was also gorgeous, right? Oh, my Wasn't goodness. he like aesthetically the best Absolutely. looking per- like beetle? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, as we all know, John had his sights set on a music career and not just an art one. And when John's band, The Quarrymen, we're looking for a bass player, uh, John and uh, Paul, and I guess George. They kind of convinced Stuart to buy a bass and join the band. So Stu had just sold his first work of art, and he used that money for the bass. And just think about the fact that he was selling works of art, well, as a, still as a student, and like that shows you how how far advanced his talent was. Uh, that was just unheard of, especially back then. So Stu decided, you know, okay, I'll join the band. I'll buy this bass. Um, the Quarrymen, of course, would soon change their name to the Beatles. And while looking this up, I, I found a million reasons as to why they chose that name, from it being a nod to the Beat Generation, to their love of the film The Wild Ones with Brando and Marvin and... Uh, the reason that makes the most sense to me was that they loved Buddy Holly and his band was called the Crickets. Mm. Uh, so while no one can really seem to agree on how the idea formed, they are kind of in agreement that it was Stu who probably like thought it up and John who was like, let's spell it this way. So it was like it was their friendship and them together that decided on the Beatles. So, yeah, Um Beatles historians are also in agreement of the fact that Stu was not particularly on par with the rest of the band musically, which, of course, makes sense as he didn't share the same passion for it as the others. And, you know, he just one day decided to buy a bass. You know, they were already a band and had been practicing forever. And who was on drums at this point? Pete Best. Okay. Yes. So... 
George Harrison once said he wasn't really a very good musician. In fact, he wasn't a musician at all until we talked him into buying a bass. He picked up a few things and he practiced a bit. It was a bit ropey, but it didn't matter at the time because he looked so cool. So Sue definitely stood out in the group and almost immediately became the heartthrob of the band. Mm -hmm. So while on stage, all the guys would be like dancing and rocking it out. But Stu would kind of stand at the side of the stage, completely still, like super casual, cigarette dangling from his lips. And he also kind of took to wearing Ray-Bans on stage. So he had that like, I'm cool and mysterious kind of thing going yeah, for him. Yeah, you are. Uh, he actually got so much attention that the other guys were 100% jealous of him. <laughs> uh, another thing that caused jealousies was uh, Lennon and Sutcliffe's close relationship. Apparently, Paul McCartney, who and he later admitted this, he was always jealous of how bonded they were, and he kind of felt like a third wheel when it came to like their friendship. Paul would also get super frustrated knowing he was a much better bass player. Oh. Yet, here's Stu getting attention. Here's Stu still in the band. Like, that really... Uh, frustrated. Paul him. was the better bass player, but Stu was getting the attention. Yes. Uh, and Lennon insisted on keeping him in the band. Uh, he really understood when it came to rock and roll. It's not always about how well you can play. There's there's more to it than that. And that's sort of what Stu had, where he, you know, he was an adequate bass player. He could play, but if it got into anything little extra, he, like he couldn't bring you there type of thing. Um, yeah, apparently Paul was like quite an asshole about it and like really would lay into Stu and he, he just, he did not want Stu in the band, but Lennon did and Lennon, I guess was the most dominant in that respect. Yeah. So yeah, they're, they're a group and in August of 1960, they all packed up, they headed to Germany, um, and yes, like you asked, the drummer at the time was Pete Best, not Ringo. However, Ringo was in Germany at the same time. He was performing in a band uh, called Rory Storm and the Hurricanes, which were also, of course, from Liverpool. And they actually played the same shows, the same oh, circuit. Oh, wow. Yeah. So they were friends with Ringo already. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. They did hang out with him. Um, apparently, like Rory Storm and the Beatles, they would kind of flip back and forth on who would play first or second, like night to night. Now we have one of the veterans of Liverpool Beach, one of the first personalities on this seat, Rory Storm and the Hurricanes, who started seven years ago. Ringo's around having fun too. Imagine, like, imagine being at those early shows. Like, Klaus knew what was up. He mm-hmm. knew that they were onto something super, oh, yeah. super special. But the crazy thing was, is that like there wasn't a whole lot before them either. So, yeah. like, what even was? It's crazy to think. Like, imagine never having heard rock and roll before, and then you go to this club and like the Beatles. And back then, the Beatles 
weren't you know the polished Beatles that like we kind of know they were they were like as close to punk before punk came into yeah. you know like they they were rocking out they were intense they they really it must have been wild I can't even imagine we've got some good shows coming up this summer that we're gonna go see oh yeah some really good shows yeah we'll have to rock out to those but, but yeah to imagine like never having no heard Beatles. it yeah all right so Astrid sees them help us she <laughs> <laughs> She's like, wow, these guys are interesting. They're good looking. Like, I'm a photographer. Maybe we can do something together. So mm-hmm. she asks the band, would you like to shoot some photographs? And about two weeks later, they went to the fairground. And Astrid says, it was a lovely day and they were so sweet. We were talking with our our hands and feet to make ourselves understood and they did everything they could to please me when I couldn't pronounce something I would go over grab their heads and put them the way I wanted them to look it was actually very funny but they were so serious and had never done anything like that before this is amazing right they had only known me a couple weeks and they trusted me to do the whole thing so the boys fell in love with the photos that Astrid took and they would become the band's first promotional shots. They had never had like a professional to- photographer. To post yes. Them. These photos are incredible too. Like look them up. Anyone who's listening, they are amazing and really interesting, especially the Lennon ones. I find like she really captured what was going on behind his, you know, like there's, it's more than just a photograph. Like there's so much more happening in those photos in those pictures so soon Astrid and the band were good friends and they were spending a lot of time together she would go to see them like every night and she would have the guys over she was living with her mother and her mother would like feed the band and try to make them feel like they were you know back home in England Uh, the Beatles at the time when they were in Germany they were living in this extremely extremely small storeroom in a softcore porn cinema why were they in Germany for so long? Uh, well, they would do these little, they they would do like little, like three months bits kind of. Okay. Um, and then they go back to Liverpool, and then it. I I guess I don't know why they picked Germany out of every place that they could go. I guess that was at the time a starting point for a lot of bands, especially since Ringo was there too. Like maybe that was what you did in Liverpool. You just got booked there. I'm not. Okay. Um, so yeah, they were in this softcore porn cinema called the Bambi Kino and their little storeroom was right next to the ladies washrooms. So they had to use like the public toilet to wash themselves. So no, like, it was gross. And that's rock and roll baby. Oh yeah. And of course they're like all, you know, young and getting pampered by Astrid and her mother was like a huge comfort to them. And like they just loved it. So, of course, Astrid had this big crush on Stu, and she decided 
maybe I should ask him to do some like one-on-one photography sessions. And he was definitely crushing on her too. So he was like, yeah, let's do it. (laughs) So if you're wondering what happened to her and Klaus, I am wondering. Yes. It's Klaus. Who's actually translating these invitations like for the sessions to the Beatles and Stu. Apparently everyone could see it was sort of love at first sight between Astrid and Stu. And he, you know, he did love Astrid and it was, you know, kind of upsetting for him, but he really encouraged her to go for it. He was such a good guy. He did not want to get away in the way of like this obvious connection. Uh, Stu was also, of course, extremely respectful of Klaus and Astrid's close friendship and kind of the whole transition from one to the other went as smooth as possible. And they were really, you know, early, late teens, early 20s, but they were much more adult about the situation than I think most would be. Um, Klaus even helped Astrid with her English along the way since she really wanted to learn in order to communicate with Stu. Um, She said... Klaus was absolutely great because he just felt that Stuart was the one for me. So it was wonderful of him the way he acted. So her and Stu, they go for some solo shoots and they're really connecting and really in like no time at all. They're a couple. It really fascinates me uh, how people can have such a strong connection without, uh, you know, with a, with a language barrier. Yeah, They really, they really felt it. They really knew uh, Astrid was a quick learner and the more she hung out with Stu, the stronger her English got. And so they were just head over heels. And as we know, Klaus, he just doesn't fade into the background here. He's close with the rest of the band and they all become like a very tight knit circle. So yeah, the Beatles have this residency in the Reeperbahn. It's a club called the Kaiser Keller. And it's going great. They're drawing crowds. They, I told you they flipped back and forth with Rory Storm as like headliners. Uh, sometimes they even had like exotic dancers opening the show. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's what like the Reaper Bomb was like a very red light. And uh, there was another and I suppose maybe somewhat classier venue called the Top Ten. Uh, and they were asked to perform there and they were super excited. You know, we're moving on up. Uh, and they performed there, but unfortunately, it was a rival club, of course, and they had signed a contract that did not allow them to perform elsewhere. So the club owner, uh, his name is Bruno Koschmeider, I hope, at least. Uh, Bruno was, like, furious, and he gave them a termination notice, but that's not all Bruno does. Okay. He is so pissed off. He reports George Harrison to the authorities. George? Yeah. George at the time is only 17. Oh, my George. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, He got permission to stay and perform in Germany by lying about his age. So Bruno reports George and George ends up being deported back to England. Oh. This is about three months after they arrived in Germany. So in November 1960, just as George is deported, Stu and Astrid's relationship is like lightning speed moving now. It's about two months after they knew each other. They get engaged. Oh. Yeah. She asks him to like move in with her and her mom. Things between them are like really amazing. But Bruno, Bruno's still pissed. He's like, George is not enough. <laughs> so 
Bruno's jealous. Bruno, There's yeah. more happening under the surface here, Bruno. Now, you think that the Beatles would be on their best behavior, especially after this. But you got to remember, they're like 19, 20-ish, okay? Paul McCartney and Pete Best get arrested mm-hmm. for arson. What? <laughs> Apparently... Paul and Pete are acting like idiots, you know, in the club. They nailed a condom to the wall in the venue and set fire to it. Oh, my God. (laughs) I guess Bruno saw this stupidity as an easy way to screw them over. And long story short, McCartney and Best are also deported. Bye. Yeah. Um, Interestingly, uh, in Cynthia Lennon's book, she tells this story, but it's not a condom fire. It's a candle that falls onto a sack. Maybe she wanted to make it a little classier. I don't know. Oh, man. I can't wait to hear her story, too. So John stays a little bit longer, but like maybe like a week or two. But then he's like, my band is not here. Like, why am I staying? So he also heads back to Liverpool. So all this happened from like August to December of 1960. Since Stu and Astrid are so in love and engaged, Stuart decided he was going to stay in Germany a little longer. He did return to Liverpool for a few months as well, but by March of 1961, the band had sorted out all the necessary paperwork that they needed to return to Hamburg, this time in, uh, at uh, the top 10, so not at the club with Bruno. But Bruno was like done with them. So Astrid, of course, is working on her own art and photography and being all cute with her short haircut and German ways. She's gorgeous. She's also been helping Stu with his style. Just like exactly. With the help of her mother, Astrid, of course, used to design and make her own clothing. Her and Stuart were the same size, and just like Keith Richards and Anita Pallenberg, Stu would borrow Astrid's clothing. So there was one particular jacket and trouser set he really loved, and he would wear it during shows. Uh, Apparently, Lennon especially, you know, just cut him up so much for this, burst out laughing when he first saw him, and they really, you know, like, oh, you're wearing your mother's suit and all that Mm. kind of shit. (laughs) But, uh, Sure enough, that look would be translated into their stage suits soon enough. Yeah. Uh, they also loved this waistcoat that Astrid had. And when they were the Beatles were getting a little more famous, they asked Astrid if she would make four waistcoats What's for them. What's a waistcoat? Like a really long yeah. sort of with pointy yeah. at the bottom? Just Yeah, like a, like a, like a long coat. Okay. Um, so yeah, she she made these waistcoats for him, for them, sorry. And she also knit them big scarves to go along with it. And I believe those scarves are the ones that they're wearing on the Beatles for Sale album. Hmm. So there you go. Um, and guess where the famous Beatle mop top came from? Um, Astrid. Yeah. She says, all my friends in art school used to run around with what you call the Beatles haircut, and Stuart liked it very much. He was the first one who got the nerve to drop the Brill cream, cream they out were, of his hair. Because they had it back. Yeah. They had it slicked back with all of that goop in it. Exactly. And then, of course, it was Astrid of and course. her art school German friends. Yeah. 
Yeah, they were they were very much like teddy boys here. Very like uh, rockabilly rock and rollers. They had the Elvis hair. Um, Klaus, he definitely had like the Beatles mop top. And I think Stu really liked Klaus's hair, which Astrid had cut, of course. So, yeah, he he finally asked. And, uh, of course, when Stu dropped the greaser look, he definitely got flack from the band, especially John. But as we all know, it wasn't long before they all followed (laughs) suit. Uh, Lennon once said, I looked up to Stu. I depended on him to tell me the truth. Stu would tell me if something was good and I'd believe him. We were awful to him sometimes, especially Paul, always picking on him. I used to explain afterwards that we didn't dislike him really. So that gives you an idea of how much, like, flack Stu must have been getting at that point. Yeah. Um, Even back then, during their performances, uh, they would each have their own time to shine. And as far as I know, Stuart had just one song that he could sing every night on his own. And he sang a cover of Elvis's Love Me Tender. I feel like I knew this i just i felt it and of course ashford was in the audience every night and he'd be singing it to his muse and it was amazing so amazing both lennon and mccartney absolutely hated hated this part of the night because without fail Stu's number would always get the biggest round of applause especially from like all the swooning ladies in the audience so yet another reason to be jealous of him and to pick on him and everything. But that's how much of a babe Stu is. And my goodness, imagine imagine being Astrid getting to hear Love Me Tender every night sung directly at her. Like whew. almost as good as if it as if it were the real thing. Exactly. Love me tender. Love me true. Dreams fulfilled for my darling. I love you, and I always will. So things with the Beatles are going great, but Stu knows where his passion lies, and the music thing is just really not for him. He really did want to focus on his sketches and his painting. And he also actually wrote like poetry and short stories. And he really had his own goals of enrolling in an art school. He wanted to stay in Hamburg. And uh, Stu met a man named Eduardo Paloluzzi. Doesn't sound German, so I'm no. not going to be able to help you out with that one. Sorry. He was actually a Scottish sculptor. And he taught art in Germany and he sort of took Stu under his wing in the same way that Astrid had a mentor in Reinhard Wolf. So in April of 1961, Stuart gets offered this scholarship and he just like really could not pass it up. So he broke the news to John and the rest of the band that he'd be quitting. Um, Apparently John took it well and Paul was, you know, I'm sure very happy. that. So he didn't get kicked out. He left. He left. Oh, Yes. Absolutely, he left. Okay. Um, so it was the drummer that was kicked out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. So Stuart lent Paul, Stuart actually lent Paul his bass to record in the studio. And 
until Paul could afford his own. And he would later, I don't know if he gave it or he sold it, but that Stuart's base would end up in Klaus's hands. And Klaus at the time was starting to get an interest in playing. And I believe while the Beatles were in Germany, they actually a couple times were like, Klaus, like come mm. up and play. And he did. So that's how Klaus like learned how to play, like by playing live with the Beatles. Like it's crazy. So in June of 1961, the Beatles went into the studio with a fellow British musician named Tony Sheridan, and they did backing vocals for his single of My Bonnie. You know, My Bonnie Lies Over the Ocean. Yes. I used to sing that song a lot when I was a kid. Okay. I just had an idea. All right. Um, Bassist, Tina Weymouth from mm-hmm. the talking heads mm-hmm. one of my favorite bassists and also just like in general so amazing i believe she also dated somebody either from the tom tom club or talking heads Ooh. episode absolutely okay she oh she so deserves it she's such a kick-ass woman she is so underrated i think we posted yeah. an article how yeah. she's like the most underrated person in music and she really got a bad rap for like nothing did right? she yeah People don't give her enough credit. That's the problem. Okay, so we've got... yeah. Think about the Talking Heads and think about how like all their songs are like so bass-driven. And the reason why I got to that was because I because you said bass, passed on the bass, and then I was like, oh, Klaus learned the bass this way. Yeah. And I thought, you know, I the only bass lick that I know is the dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. thing like she she, it's the bass lines that you remember in their songs yeah okay so by the time that the Beatles recorded and did backing vocals for Tony Sheridan Stu by that point had quit so he was not never he was never in the studio with the Beatles in any way so Astrid and her mother were of course like so over the moon about Stu and they actually fixed up the um the attic in their house uh, to be his work studio. So Stu began attending school. Um, it's interesting. I, I, I feel like Beatles fans, especially like h- hardcore, they're like very, I don't know how to put it. They know their thing, their shit. <laughs> I don't want to say I'm a hundred percent certain about something. And then a Beatles person would be like, no. So I'm saying I believe Stu was attending school, but also still playing gigs with the band to sort of help them finish out their contract at the top 10. Um, I've read some things that make me confused about this because apparently he quit in early April, but Cynthia, Cynthia Lennon actually visited Hamburg for two weeks and she talks about seeing them all play at the top 10. Uh, and this was after the whole deportation thing. So, I feel like he must have, you know, played out that contract at least. So Cynthia actually stayed with Astrid and Astrid's mom. In her book, she said, I was nervous about meeting Astrid. John had made her sound so confident and glamorous, and I was afraid I'd feel gauche and awkward next to her. 
When I got to her house, she came to the door looking as stunning as I imagined. She wore jeans, a polo neck, and a leather jacket, all black. Her blonde hair was cut short and layered, and her makeup was understated and beautifully done. But I needn't have worried. Astrid gave me a big hug, and we, were, and we liked one another immediately. It was the beginning of a warm friendship. Astrid was gorgeous, but she was fun too, and I never felt intimidated by her. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, Cynthia also describes Astrid's bedroom in her book. The walls and the ceilings were covered in silver foil, like Warhol's factory, like pre-factory, basically. And everything else was black. And she even had black satin bed sheets. Like, how cool is Astrid? Whoa. Right? I think my mom had a black bedroom at one point in high school. I'll have to ask her about that. Amazing. Like, how Love did it. Nanny and Poppy let you <laughs> yeah. paint your bedroom black? Um, so I haven't mentioned this, but for those who are unaware, the Beatles were, like, really partying hard at this point. They're rocking out multiple sets a night, having fun, you know, meeting groupies, uh, eating amphetamines like their candies to stay awake. Seriously? Oh, yeah. They were, like hardcore in it at that point right um they finished out their contract at the top 10 they returned to liverpool that summer um cynthia says john was happy stewart had found astrid and he knew they'd see each other again when the beatles went back for their next stint in hamburg still he didn't say much about although he didn't say much about it he missed stewart who was his closest friend they stayed in touch, writing long letters to each other about anything and everything. So during this time is when, uh, back in Liverpool, the Beatles, you know, meet Brian Epstein. They're, they're very much on the cusp of, like, making it big right now. So Stu is right where he wants to be. He's got his girl. He's got his attic studio, his scholarship. But things really start to take a drastic turn for the worse. He starts experiencing these extreme headaches, sensitivity to light, sometimes even blackouts. Uh, they're so bad that he actually ends up passing out in class more than once. And he goes to the doctor, of course. They try to figure out the issue. They're not really sure what the cause is. He's told it's probably like nervous exhaustion. They give him, you know, rest, relax, eat well. Like epilepsy? Cancer? Apparently, they also suggested, you know, maybe you should get checked out in England, but he kind of thinks that's a little excessive. And since they found nothing wrong, he decides to stay in Hamburg with Astrid. Okay? So, this is going to get heavy. All right. On April 10th, in 1962, Astrid found him unconscious in bed. She called an ambulance. In Astrid's words, she said, he died in my arms on that journey. What? Yeah. I cannot say it was unexpected, but the suddenness, the loss to me was great. And to anyone who knew him, because he was a genius with a mind and an original talent and an art, as an artist. He would have been outstanding if he'd lived. So... The Beatles were actually due to arrive back in Germany three days later, and Astrid had to go to the airport and tell them, oh like, my Stuart's God. dead. Yeah. So the exact cause of death, I don't think it's ever been, like, fully determined, but most believe it was, like, a cerebral hemorrhage. Okay, so he had, yeah, yeah. okay. 
I know. It's like, it's so shocking. What the so hell, shocking. man? How old was he? 22. Oh. Yeah. So Beatles mythology has it that about a year or so before um, he passed away, uh, he was attacked outside a venue in Liverpool. John joined in to help Stu and both were injured. John broke his finger and most believe Stuart must have suffered a fractured skull. So at this, at the time of the beating, Stuart refused to go to the hospital and he failed to show up for a scheduled x-ray that they had uh, made an appointment for him after. So this does seem like the most likely cause. Um, Doing my research, I was actually incredibly shocked to discover that Stuart's sister, Pauline, who wrote a book on Stuart, who I didn't read, I I purposely chose not to just because I read some articles with her and I, it, her, she, it never, she just didn't sit right with me. That's wild how many of these books are out there that we don't even know about yeah. that are associations yeah. with these people. And So in her book, huh. she claims John Lennon is responsible for Stuart's death. She says they had a fight in the year prior to uh, Stu's passing and John kicked him in the head. Yeah. So Stuart was buried in Liverpool in one of Astrid's custom-made suits. Oh, my God. Yeah. He was 22. Uh, since the band had a contract in Hamburg and Astrid was in such a state, none of them were able to attend his funeral. Uh, thankfully, though, they were all together in the same city. And John basically forced Astrid out of the house. And he told her, you know, you have to keep on living. And they they really supported each other through this, like, unbelievable loss. Um, she was, she still came to the shows every night and I suppose they could, you know, sort of all got a comfort out of that. Uh, Yoko Ono obviously never had a chance to meet Stuart, but she was quoted as saying, I felt I knew Stuart because hardly a day went by that John did not speak about him. Wow. Um, and you can even find Stuart on the cover of the Sergeant Pepper album. He's like on the, on the left side. So that wasn't the end of Astrid in the Beatles' life. Um, in 1963, her and the Beatles, uh, they took a trip together. You can find their vacation photos online. They're really <laughs> cute. Um, by 1964, of course, the Beatles had made it you know, huge, and they were filming A Hard Day's Night in England. And there was um, a strict no photographer rule on the set, but a man named, oh, I'm going to screw this up, Max... Shellier, Scheller, S-C-H-E-L-E-R. S-C-H-E-L-E-R. E-L-E-R. Well, this that sounds good to me. Um, he was from a magazine called Stern Magazine, and he got a hold of Astrid. They knew each other, and he asked, you know, can you maybe make a connection for me through the Beatles? She got a hold of George, who told her, Max can come, but only if you come and get paid an amount that you're happy oh, with oh george yeah <laughs> george so you. you know he really made sure she got what she deserved um astrid worked it out with max and they headed to england um while there she actually visited liverpool and she took incredible incredible shots of life uh in liverpool um through the eyes of like the children like on the streets and everything um she said what was running through her mind while 
at the time was imagining Stuart and the rest of them growing up in Liverpool and like what they must have been like yeah. at like 10, 12. And um, I just find that so interesting. And th- those photographs are, I mean, I love her Beatles photographs, but those photographs are my favorite of hers. They're just incredible. And you really get a, a sense of like these wild kids on the street. Just like it's, it's it must be so different from the Liverpool of today. Um, highly, highly recommend everyone look up, you know, Astrid Kirscher Liverpool uh, photographs. Um, in 1967, Astrid got married. She married a man named Gibson Kemp. He played drums in a band called King Size Taylor, um, a group, interestingly, that Ringo came this close to joining <laughs> Right before the Beatles asked him. And the only reason that the Beatles won out is because they offered 25 pounds a week and King Size offered 20. Oh, wow. So that's how, yeah, that's how Ringo got involved. And Gibson, I think, was also from Liverpool. So it's she, a sweet name. Gibson? Yeah. yeah. Especially, like, for a rock and roller. Um, Astrid said... Uh, they kind of had to get married as she was pregnant, but unfortunately she ended up losing the baby. They ended up divorcing after seven years, but they've remained really good friends. And he's even interviewed in her retrospective uh, photography book and their relationship is great. So in 1968, Astrid also took the inner sleeve photograph of George Harrison's Wonderwall music. Oh, cool. Uh, Astrid has said, George was always my favorite, his kindness and his wit. He was just a wonderful person, and whenever I was in trouble, like with money or things, he was always looking after me, and he invited me a couple times to London and later on to Henley. I just miss him terribly because he was like a guardian angel for me. I feel like I am in a way lost without him. (gasps) So apparently George actually offered to build Astrid a photography studio in London. Yeah, he would. Yeah. He would do that. Isn't he amazing? Um, But by that time, Astrid had really put her photography career on the back burner. So unfortunately, because her name was attached to the Beatles... Um, she found it quite difficult to find other work. You know, she was, she was like the Beatles photographer. She said every magazine and newspaper wanted me to photograph the Beatles again, or they wanted my old stuff, even if it was out of focus, a girl photographer in this. Oh, sorry. Every magazine and newspaper wanted me to photograph the Beatles again, or they wanted my old stuff, even if it was out of focus, whether they were nice or not. They wouldn't look at my other work. It was very hard for a girl photographer in the 60s to be accepted. In the end, I gave up. Mm, shit. Yeah. She ended up working in music publishing for a while, I believe. And, um, of course, her work has since been celebrated and shown all around the world. And Astrid says she's most proud when... In the 90s, there was an exhibition of her work along with Stewart's in Japan. Cool. This was after the film Back- Backbeat was released. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. Another crazy thing is most of her photography until around the late 80s was lost or credited to other people. So she wasn't making a cent off of like all of her beautiful work. Oh, no. Yeah. 
other people were profiting. Luckily, this changed. She met a man who had become her manager. And, of course, the beautiful thing was that George Harrison had kept many of the negatives. Oh, George! Yeah. So when Astrid was like, do you have those still? He immediately sent them to her. And um, that man, Max, that she went to Liverpool with and everything... Uh, when he found out that all those Liverpool photographs were being credited to him, he made sure to help correct that situation as well. So at least after, you know, she got a manager and everything and now, you know, she sells prints and everything and, and she's the one profiting rightly. So good. So yeah, let's talk a little bit about the film backbeat. This was released in 1994. Ian softly directed it. Cheryl Lee plays Astrid. Cheryl Lee is best known as Laura Palmer in Twin oh, Peaks. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. Uh, she, she's great in it. And Stephen Dorff plays Stu. Mm. Um, Astrid was involved in an advisory way on the film. And, well, of course, it's not the exact truth. She does say that Dorff plays Stu perfectly. She said, Stephen is so much like Stuart, it's spooky. The way he talked, the way he smoked, his gestures were just like Stu. I was very impressed. Stephen has the same intensity when he talks to people. He's very, very intelligent, very charming, very sexy boy. All the things I remember Stuart had, Stephen had as well. So it's interesting to watch that movie and know, you know, that's as close to... So obviously you've seen it. Oh, yeah. Because you're a huge movie buff. Oh, yeah. Good movie? It's a good movie. And, uh... Um, the the performance scenes are like really cool. Like they have a lot of Beatles um, performing, and of course, it's not it's not the Beatles records that you know. It's more covers and stuff, but that's what they were playing at the time. Um, I I I think it's a it's a movie worth checking out. And a little you know cool piece of film trivia: Dave Grohl. Dave Perner from Soul Asylum and Thurston Moore from Sonic Youth. And if you don't know who Dave Grohl is, he's from Foo Fighters and Nirvana. Um, they were some of the musicians who worked on the music for oh, cool. the film. That's awesome. Yeah. So the performance scenes Dave are Grohl awesome. or David Grohl, as my dad calls him. Oh, very. Just David Grohl was involved in that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, um, the film's interesting. Um, what? I'll talk about that again in a minute. Just give me a second. Um, I couldn't found much um, on her talking or the others like talking about what is fact, what is fiction. Uh, there are scenarios in the film. It's really quite interesting, actually. They make John out to be super aggressive, very angry. He's like a very much an asshole most of the film. And mostly it's directed at Astrid and then Stu. So in the film, they sort of blame this on some sort of unrequited infatuation with both Astrid and Stu. Okay. So I kind of like that, actually. It's it's interesting. He sort of goes back and forth between wanting to be Stu and like have Astrid or wanting to be Astrid so he can have Stu. Oh, my God. That's yeah. That's yeah. Cool. Um, I'm not sure if he was that awful to Astrid in the beginning. I could find no quote from her saying anything about him being an asshole uh the only real quotes i could find were about her thoughts on the film in that and she always focuses on the performance and of of like how perfect steven was and everything so 
I would be really interested to know, especially because she talks about how they were, they all loved each other. And, mm-hmm. and of course, by the end, especially with Stuart passing, they were very close and they, they helped each other through that sadness and everything. So yeah, I imagine that might've been played up a little more and it would be interesting to see what Lennon had he been alive as well. I don't know if he would have particularly liked the idea of them putting out that he might've had a thing for Stuart as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's quite interesting the way that they play, play out the film. I think it's well done. It's worth watching. That's, that's for sure. So I mentioned Pauline Stewart's sister saying that she believes John is to blame. Uh, apparently she does think this has to do with some type of homosexual relationship that Stu and John might've had and that it all came to blows over Astrid. And that's what she believes kind of caused the fight. I didn't read her book, so I can't say for certain. I'm just reading. I read a bunch of articles and that's the way that those articles imply what, whatever she wrote. Uh, she wasn't there though. And Astrid has never said anything about a fight between them over such things. So yeah, I was going to read Pauline's book for this, but after reading those articles and interviews, I was kind of, you've done enough research. And I was honestly, I was was so put off by like the way that she came off. I just, I just didn't want to. Um, yeah. Uh, if anybody else has read that book, let us know. Please. Yeah. Send us an email. Newses and stuff at gmail.com. Honestly, I felt frustrated just reading like the articles on her, let alone the whole book. But for anyone who is interested, uh, that book's called Stuart Sutcliffe, The Lost Beetle. So Stuart's death was not just a blow for those who knew him. Um, Many people in the art world, world have really praised his work and mourned the loss of someone who would have undoubtedly been very influential in his time. Uh, his surviving artwork has been shown around the world. There's not that much of it. You can find his work online, stuartsutcliffeart.com. And some of his work was even shown at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Mm. So that's pretty cool. And uh, we all know what happened with the Beatles and the rest of them. Uh, I just want to wrap up by saying that Klaus, for those who don't know Klaus's story, he continued to grow as a musician and an artist. He moved to London. He lived there for some time uh, with both George and Ringo. Um, He went on to design the cover art for Revolver and, yeah, the Beatles anthology albums. And he also plays bass on three songs, You'll Be Mine, uh, Cayenne, and Hallelujah, I Love Her So. Uh, He was also in the Plastic Ono Band for a time and has performed as a session musician with all of the Beatles during their solo work. Uh, George Harrison's like all things must pass like that's him on bass maybe he's playing Stewart's bass who knows oh shit uh he's also played with bands such as Manfred Mann and his other clients include people like B.B. King Jerry Lee Lewis Lou Reed Carly Simon Harry Nilsson and that's just naming a few uh his most recent thing I found of his um he designed the artwork for Liam Gallagher's uh deluxe edition of his first album as you were so Klaus is still kicking butt. Klaus? Yeah. Kicking butt. I'm sure he's still looking good, too. So Klaus is still uh, doing things. Yeah. Astrid still Astrid lives in Germany. is alive and she's in happy. Germany. Okay. She's, she seems content with life. She's finally getting like the money she deserves from prints of her work. And um, I think she kind of only photographs for her own pleasure now. But, yeah. You know. 
Yeah. Wow, what a story. I know, it's crazy. Thank you. Poor Stuart. I mean, it's, it's I thought not, I knew everything there was to know, but like, I, how did I, how did I not know that? It's crazy. I'm, I, I'm sure, you know, that's a name we would all know had he lived. Yeah. So it's nice to, you know, remember him now. Yeah. Because he right. was so influential in the Beatles and so was Astrid. Without both of them and their relationship, so much of what we love of the Beatles, like, probably wouldn't exist. It's crazy. And that's why I love doing this every week with you thank you that was really fantastic i learned a lot awesome and i think we're gonna get a lot of great photos for this episode a couple of good songs in there definitely post some astrid photos and Mm -hmm. oh wait till you see them i can't wait and it's like i know that when i see them i'll be i'll recognize them and i can't wait to see her beautiful face again and it was nice looking at your beautiful face as you told me this episode though so thanks You're welcome. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you. See you next week. Yeah. Bye. Next song we'd like to sing. Terrible Kingdom. Is our latest record. (laughs) Or our latest electronic noise, depending on whose side you're on. Any road? We'd like to carry on with it. It's the last number. We'd like to thank you all for being so wonderful. (laughs) And it's called Help. One, two, three, four. Help. I need somebody. Help. Not just anybody. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.